0: Welcome, good morning, happy Sabbath. Uh, to those of you with us today, uh, to those that are maybe home already from college, anybody already on summer break? Yeah, I le- expect to hear something back there. How about, how about teachers on summer break? Yeah, yeah. I always figured that'd be a louder crowd uh, than the other one. We have our Walla Walla students that are graduating this weekend, and so we have a lot of people up there. For that celebration, I missed you last Sabbath as I was up in Battleground celebrating my daughter's graduation, um, and uh, excited for her. Josue graduated from high school. I know a lot of you didn't think he was going to make it, um, but he did. Savannah's sitting over there, uh, and some of her others. Eighth graders that graduated. There's some eighth graders that graduated. So uh, wherever you are, wherever you. Kindergartners that graduated. Like you know. We have those grad gifts out there for you. Take some pictures, have some fun, enjoy the time. I don't know about the rest of the graduates, but my daughter made bank. So if you see them and you need a small loan, just ask. I'm sure, they'll be ready. Um, we are heading into summer, though I wish someone would tell the weather. Amen. Thank you. Yes, that would be great. Um, But, uh, and and this is our first official summer as a church, so so we don't know what the ebb and flow of people coming will be and whatnot. We do know this, that um, the studies are suggesting that this summer will be more travel than there was even before the pandemic. Um, So people are sick and tired of not getting out, and they're going out even though gas prices are $4.2 million a gallon. um, And airfare, look, I just, I spent... Uh, I I have to fly to Kentucky on Father's Day for the North American Division Pastors Conference because when uh, Adventists gather together in large groups, they decide to go to really boring places. So you can't have any other fun except to go to the conference. That's what they do. But I had to pay $1,200 to go to stinking Kentucky. Now, if you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry. Um But, yeah, if I'm going to pay that much money, I should go to Europe or somewhere exotic, but instead, I'm going to the place that invented moonshine. So, cannot wait for that experience. Pastor Tim uh, Gillespie and I will be there talking about crosswalk and planting churches and different things, so we are excited about that opportunity. We just wish it was in a different place. Um, But... We are in week seven of our series called Christophany here at Crosswalk. Uh, and we're looking at stories from the Old t- in the Old Testament from the perspective of the lens of the New Testament. Because that's our vantage point as Christians and followers of Jesus. We get to look at all of the stories in scripture through the lens of the God who loves us so much he died on the cross for us. So we're looking at where God shows up. In an incarnation, not the incarnation, but an incarnation of Jesus. And today is one of my favorite, another one of my favorite stories of a character I identify a lot with. It's from Judges 6. It is the story of Gideon. So let's jump right in and set the stage. In today's story, we find the Israelites in the promised land after being rescued from Egypt, having gone through the wilderness for 40 years. They are now in the promised land. That God promised to their forefathers. The only problem is, there was a tribe who was there before them called the Midianites. The Midianites were a powerful and cruel tribe. They sought to rule through fear. Like many of their their neighbors, they worshipped a variety of gods and idols, sacrificed to them. And they wanted to rule out of so much fear that all you could do was run and hide. So for seven years, the Israelites were subjected to the rule of the Midianites who would come in and if you started growing crops, they would steal them, they would take your livestock. Anytime you had something that felt like it was going your way, the Midianites would swoop in and, and change the course of the momentum. So it was a frustrating place to be. They were hiding in caves, the Israelites were, they were starving, but why was this happening to the Israelites? Did God rescue them from the land of Egypt only to put them into another land of fear and oppression? It seems like that on the surface of things. It seems like God had abandoned them. Later in this story in Judges 6, we'll even find our main character. When the angel of the Lord appears and says, the Lord is with you, Gideon will respond this way. He says, if the Lord is with us why has all this happened to us, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? God seemed to have left the building. But as we read the story in Judges 6, we learn a few things. First, we learn that, Judges 6, 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Doing evil was their way of saying that they had worshipped idols. So, God didn't abandon them, they abandoned God. And handing them over to the Midianites was just another way of saying that God allowed them to receive the consequences of their choices. So, the Israelites cry out to God for help, not because they want to repent and change their ways, they're crying out to God for help because they want to be rescued from their circumstances. Right? They, they're not looking at themselves just yet. They're looking at, man, life sucks, please save us from this, God. They want to be rescued, and as we'll see, God wants to rescue them, but he also wants them to look at the choices they made that got them there in the first place. So often in my life, I focus on my circumstances and misfortunes without taking time to reflect on the choices I made that may have gotten me there in the first place. So often I focus externally when I need to spend time looking at the condition of, my own heart. Now surely following God doesn't mean that you will never have challenges or problems or negative circumstances. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? But following God and keeping your heart attuned to him does allow you to notice his presence and his involvement and his activity more. So the people of Israel committed adultery, They worshipped idols and other gods. Their lives were a mess as a result. And so God sends them a prophet to help them recognize the error of their ways. But this is interesting. Because before any record of repentance, any acknowledgement of their sin, any change in their action, God shows up to save them. It sounds a bit like another story in scripture, doesn't it? Romans 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God, through his Holy Spirit, may point out the sin in our lives, the things that we are doing that are destructive to ourselves, harmful to someone else. But before we even move, God, in his deep love and graciousness, doesn't wait for us to repent or make amends, he acts. God jumps into the middle of our mess to work out his salvation, proving that salvation is his work. Our job is simply to accept it, to receive it. This is the st- setting for our story today. So we come now to the part of the story in Judges 6, where we are introduced to God's next chosen instrument. The instrument he will use to perform his next act of salvation, salvation. We have met Moses, we have met Joshua, but now we meet the next most unlikely character, Gideon. The story goes, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, son of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was thres- threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And here is our theophany for today. And though something super critical happens in this passage that we will get to and spend time with, I want to first address how Gideon responds to the angel of the Lord. Because in the text, we see Gideon responding not like others that have responded. In fact, some of the ones we've talked about here. He, He doesn't fall face down. He doesn't hide his face. He doesn't immediately repent of his sin. He just has a conversation with the angel of the Lord. In fact, Gideon doesn't even realize until later in the story that this is the angel of the Lord. So how is how is this possible? How do we have a theophany like this without him knowing? Well the angel of the Lord must looked pretty ordinary. God shows up in the story with the appearance of any other person. As far as we know, he's not wearing bright white robes, his eyes don't flash like lightning. He's not carrying a sword. He's just there. Now, we've spent plenty of times in Scripture looking at the miraculous, looking at the supernatural ways in which God shows up, a burning bush, a talking donkey, that angel with the flaming sword. But in this story, it's different. I mean, we all want those other kinds of theophanies. We all want the kinds of appearings where it is supernatural, and there's no shadow of a doubt that this is God. But God often shows up in the ordinary. And because we're looking for him in the extraordinary, we miss him. Perhaps there's no better example than when he took on human flesh. Even in the prophecy about the coming Messiah, we were told, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. And when Jesus was born, a few wise men from the east and some shepherds were the only ones that took notes. He spends much of his life in silence, growing up in the shadow of his family, learning the family trade. And even when he does announce his public ministry, the people struggle to accept Jesus as a long-awaited Messiah because he was just too ordinary. When Jesus went and preached in his hometown, the people asked Where did he get all the wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus says that he and God the Father are one, the religious leaders pick up stones to kill him. And Jesus asks, why? They say this, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. The lesson for us in this is that we must be willing to accept the God who shows up in the ordinary moments of our lives. Because if we're always looking for God in the extraordinary and miraculous, we may miss him. And is it possible that you've already encountered God this morning? Maybe when he got up and looked in the mirror you walked in and someone greeted you or handed you a warm cup of coffee maybe in the songs you heard the message preached there's all sorts of moments where God is all around us hasn't abandoned us is working out his salvation in us we just have to notice be aware of what's happening so let's go back to how the how the angel of the Lord addresses Gideon in the story, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, typically, you would thresh wheat in a field. It was faster, easier to do, but he's threshing wheat in a wine press because he could hide. If somebody's walking by, Midianites are coming, he can duck down and disappear. So he's in there because he's afraid. He's in there because he's hiding, right? And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he tells him what I'm going to talk about here in just a moment, but he. He says, I'm going th- to send you to rescue my people from the Midianites. And, of course, Gideon does what most people do in Scripture when they're called by God. Most of them give you all the reasons why they're not the person qualified to do it. Gideon's not any different. He says, well, I'm the smallest in my family, which my family's the least in all of Israel. We are so the wrong people to do this. I'm not your guy, right? But knowing all this already, the angel of the Lord addresses Gideon and says, mighty The Lord is with you. I love that the New Living Translation uses the word hero. In other translations, it says man of valor, which is good too, but we love our heroes. We've used the term heroes a lot, especially in the last couple of years, but we've been obsessed with them before that. We could go back to 2008 to a little known franchise called Marvel. And over the last 14 years, they produced 21 feature films earning 25 billion dollars uh i I can admit fully that my truck's name is cap for captain america of course my daughter's car is named bucky because the winter soldier (laughs) they go together uh anyway we've been obsessed but it happened long before that at least for me i grew up with some of those traditional comic books and when i wanted to emulate my heroes when i was a kid i'd get out one of the beach towels anybody else do this Tie the beach towel around your neck, usually with a knot so big you couldn't put your chin down. And then you'd run around rescuing people from all the horrible things that were happening at your house. My brother and I would spend hours in the back on our trampoline and just in the backyard in general thinking of all these different ways that we were going to save the damsel in distress. My favorite was when somebody would be shooting at somebody else, apparently, and my brother and I would, you know, jump in the way and take the bullet. But it was always so dramatic. It was always like, oh. fall down the other person would come over you'd give some dramatic dying words and then you get up and you do it all over again right so we've been obsessed with heroes for a long time but heroes not just a supernatural type right they have a type like when we think of heroes we think of courageous people willing to run into a burning building to save a child or we think of strong and confident men and women who risk their lives to work on the covid wing or to head off to war or to stand up to a bully Gideon is not the type. Gideon seems to be the kind of person who needs a hero, not someone who is one. (laughs) After all, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon when he's hiding from the enemy, scared to death to be found, and yet calls him mighty hero. Why? I would argue that this is how God sees all of us, for what we could be, not for what we are. God sees a stuttering shepherd and says, Ah, here's the one who will deliver Israel. He sees a prostitute in Jericho and says, Here is the one I choose to save my people and defeat the enemy. He sees a boy tending sheep in a field and says, Ah, here's who I will send to defeat the giant Goliath. He sees a young virgin named Mary and says, Here is the woman highly favored who will bring my Messiah into the world. He sees a stubborn, impulsive young fisherman and says, upon this rock I will build my church. He sees a religious zealot imprisoning and killing killing the followers of Jesus and says, here is my servant Paul, who I have chosen to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. God sees us and treats us differently than we see ourselves. He sees us and treats us for how we could be if we surrender to him and trust in his power instead of our own. He speaks his truth into our lives and then enables us to become the people he sees when he looks at us. So many of us here today need to see ourselves through the eyes of God instead of our own, or instead of the people around us that have judged us. We need to hear God speak the truth of our real identities into our life, that we are first and foremost children of the living God. We are chosen and set apart to be his ambassadors, shining his light into a world trapped in darkness and chaos. This world may have labeled us losers, failures, has-beens, weaklings. This world may have told us we don't have what it takes, but if we have God, we have more than enough. If we have God, we are more than anyone can possibly imagine, for it is in our weakness and failures that God's power is made perfect. It is in our lack that God shows his completeness. In her own reflections on the story of Gideon, author Ellen White wrote, The Lord can work most effectually through those who are most sensible of their own insufficiency and who will rely upon him as their leader and source of strength. He will make them strong by uniting their weakness to his might and wise by connecting their ignorance with his wisdom. We need to hear God speak his truth into our lives, but we also need to help God speak his truth into the lives of others. We need to see his image in each and every person around us, those we agree with, those we don't. For when we receive his truth in our own lives and speak his truth into the lives of others, that's when real change takes place. In his book, The Furious Longing of God, The late author, teacher, pastor, and former homeless alcoholic, Brennan Manning, tells the story of a boy by the name of Larry Mullaney. It was back in the late 1960s, um, and Brennan was teaching at a university in Ohio. Uh, Larry was a freshman who, by all of society's standards, would have been considered ugly, He was short, he was very overweight, he had an acne problem, he had a bad lisp, his hair went in all sorts of different directions. Uh, He wore the uniform of the day, which was a t-shirt that hadn't been washed in decades, um, and a pair of jeans with a butterfly on the back, and of course no shoes. Um, And uh, Brennan says that in all his days, He had never met anybody with such a low self-esteem, and in one of their meetings, Larry actually told Brennan when he wakes up in the morning and he sees himself in the mirror for the first time, he spits at it. That's how he felt about himself, and honestly, that's what the world had helped him feel about himself. Of course, no campus girl would date him, no fraternity wanted him as a pledge. He walked into Brennan's office one day during his freshman year, um, and he said with his lisp evident, he said, ah, you're a new faith on campus. Well, my name is Larry Mulaney, and I'm an agnostic. Manning said, you're a, you're a what? He said, I'm an agnostic. And, and uh, Manning said, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, congratulations. Uh, let me know when, uh, if you become an atheist, and I'll take you out to dinner, we'll celebrate your conversion. Later that year, at Christmas, however, Larry got a special and priceless gift that would change his life. He found himself at christmas uh, at his family home in providence rhode island Um, and that first friday night he was home he comes into uh, the dining room to sit down for dinner and he and his father begin to banter and argue and fight and they did that because his father was a lace curtain irishman is what they call it Um, and because of that the two would often fight and and, uh, have quarrels all over break and reason for that is there's two kind of Irishmen. There's a lace curtain Irishman, which is kind of the upper class type. They're the ones that even on the hottest day of the summer, they're going to show up to dinner in a dark suit, usually pinstripe, a white starched uh, dress shirt, and a tie swollen at the top. Uh, A lace curtain Irishman won't let their um, sideburns grow past their ears, um, and they speak in low subdued voices. So of course, Larry, was everything that was the opposite of that the other kind of Irishman is a shanty Irishman which is more of like from the slums um, so uh, they get into these fights and this is how his time at home goes he's home for a little over a week before he goes to his dad and says dad it's time for me I gotta head back to school tomorrow uh, so I gotta take the bus in the morning to the other bus to get to the airport his dad said well what time and Larry said well it 6 a.m so his dad said okay I'll go with you on that first bus So they get up in the morning, they go on the bus, they sit in silence, and then they get to uh, the bus stop, they get off the bus, they're waiting for the other bus, and across the street from the bus stop is a group of men that are under an awning. All of the men know the Mulaney family. In fact, they work at the same textile factory as Larry's dad does. They start shouting from across the street, hey, look at that pig over there, oink, oink say other comments like, man, if that was my kid, I'd be so embarrassed. I'd never let him out of the house. What a pig. Someone else said, well, if he was my kid, I'd kick him out of the house. He'd, He'd be running so fast, he wouldn't know if he was on horseback or foot. He wouldn't know. So, hey, pig, give us your best oink. They kept going for a couple of minutes when all of a sudden Larry's dad did something that he had never done before. He turned to his son and he embraced him, kissed him on the lips, looked in his eyes and said, Son, if your mother and I lived for 200 years, it wouldn't be long enough for us to express our love for you or how proud we are of you. I love you, son. Brennan's own words, he writes. It would be hard to describe in words the transformation that took place in Larry Mulaney, but I'll try. He came back to school and remained a hippie, but he cleaned up the best he could. Miracle of all miracles, Larry began dating a girl, and to top it off, he became the president of one of the fraternities. Larry went on, Brennan said, to graduate from the school, to be the first graduate to uh, complete school with a 4.2. He was a brilliant person. Um, he said that uh, he came to Brennan's office one day and said, tell me about this guy, Jesus, you keep talking about. And so for 30-minute increments, for six weeks, he would come into Brennan's office, and Brennan would share with him what he had learned about Jesus through the Holy Spirit. At the end of the six weeks, Larry turned to Brennan and said, okay. In June of 1974, Larry Mullaney was ordained as a minister And for 25 years, he served as a missionary in South America. He was a person totally sold out to Jesus. And do you know why? It wasn't because of the 30 minutes he sat in Brennan's office talking about Jesus, although I'm sure that helped. It was because his lace curtain Irishman, one Christmas break, healed him. He healed him because he chose a road of blessing in the face of cursing and taunts. His father looked deeply into his son's eyes, saw the good in Larry that Larry couldn't see for himself, affirmed him with a furious love, and changed the whole direction of his son's life. Lodged into your heart is the power to walk into somebody else's life and give them what 20th century philosopher and theologian Paul Tillich once said, is the courage to be. In order to do that, sometimes you have to see with new eyes. We have to learn to see like Jesus. And how is Jesus able to see us differently? Why does he see us in a different way than the rest of the world? It's because he loves us, all of us. And you know what this phenomenon is like. Think back to when you were in high school, maybe college or grade school for some of you. I don't know. But, you know, you walked by this one person a thousand times. You didn't notice them in particular until one day. One day you walked by them and suddenly something happened. You, you smell their perfume or you realize their sweater is making their eyes really pop today or... Um, their hair is parted in a different way or something happens and then suddenly you notice them a lot you notice them all over the place you see them everywhere you can't even close your eyes without seeing them because you're falling in love and now you see them differently and yes in this setting it starts with infatuation but the base of that is love when we love and other as Jesus loves us, we begin to see each other differently, not for what we are, but for what we could be. Yes, Jesus accepts us as we are, Jesus loves us as we are, but Jesus is always challenging us to be the people that he sees when he looks at us, people with potential, his mighty heroes. Jesus loves us like crazy, so he sees us differently than anyone else. He looks at us and smiles so much, so big that his muscles get sore loves us with all of our weaknesses and our struggles he loves that person at work that is your biggest thorn in your side and he loves the person that's driving down the freeway and cuts you off and yes I'm talking to you Cheryl Burke if you're in the room I love Cheryl Cheryl took like all of our Lovewell stickers and put them wherever she can see them when she's driving so when she has a moment and is tempted she can see the Lovewell sticker and be like oh I, I love them God looks at us, and in his grace, and because of his love, he sees in us his heroes, called to be his instruments of salvation, helping others know who they really are and how they're really loved. So let us have the courage to see with new eyes, always on the lookout for the God in the ordinary parts of life, and let us live into who he sees us to be, and help others to do the same. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, What a blessing and a gift you are in our lives. Because for some of us in this room, we have been called all sorts of names. We have been labeled. Some of us had a hard time walking into even this room because we were hurt or judged by a previous generation, a previous church, or people who claimed to follow you. But that's not who you are. You are a God of love and a God of grace welcome us into your family, that give us a place to belong, that challenge us to see ourselves through your eyes, who we could be if we would just surrender to you. Help us to surrender. As we head into summer, Father God, I pray that you would help us to uh, find time to refresh, to renew, to relax, but also to give, to give of ourselves, to help rescue thank you for loving us thank you for being here with us go with us this day and help us as always catch an even more fresh